Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune says this movie is more concerned with its special effects of multiple characters than any satisfying conclusion to its provocative premise. Kenneth Turan says it's more Kafka-esque than comedic, more fascinating to watch than out-and-out -out funny. And Letterboxd user Brian W. Collins says it's too bad they couldn't clone the three or four good laughs. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of multiplicity. Re-re-reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. I wanted to give you a beat in case you wanted to do it as different characters, different versions of yourself. <laughs> you know, uh, man, would that it were so simple. Uh, it's yeah, you know, I could, I could do I always greetings, greetings, Starfighters. Greetings, Starfighters. Greetings, Steve. Greetings, Steve. Pizza. This baby. is Ruined Childhoods, yes. and we are talking about multiplicity on this episode. And uh, wow, what what an episode! What yeah. what a what a movie this is! Oh yeah, I'm, I've I've been uh, eagerly anticipating this discussion. Yeah, I uh, I. Definitely haven't seen this movie since it first came on TV, HBO, you know, wherever. It's not. I, I don't TV, think I saw it's HBO. Yeah, I don't. Th well, that's true. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I definitely saw it when it was first made available to me around the mid '90s. It was definitely a VHSer for me. Yeah, and, and in that case, because we're brothers, and you know, we lived together. Although in 96, you were in college, right? So I, all right. So the, the movie was released in 96 and, uh, so summer of 96, I don't, all right. I don't think I saw it in the theater. Uh, I don't have a ticket stub for it. So that's a pretty good, yeah. especially circa 1996. If I don't have the ticket stub, I probably didn't see it in the theater, but so then it must have come out on VHS. That was, I think, when it was still like, you know, the kind of like six month or like four to six months yeah, yeah, after yeah. theatrical. So it was probably, you know, late 96, early 97 when it came out on VHS, though I don't recall. I would have been a sophomore in college. So and I, I don't remember where I don't remember if I watched it at college or at home, like I think at home. Uh huh. I'm not clear on this one. Okay, that's fine. I'm not clear no, on this one. I know okay, I saw it. That's okay, but it's but it's currently streaming on Stars, and uh, you know, Stars comes in every now and then when like you need it the most, and it's one of those streaming services where it's like it's not your go-to, but then when it's like I really want to watch something that's not on any of the other ones, Stars is your app. That's your one. And that's one where like I've, you know, when I go through moments where I'm just like, I need to save money and it's just like, all right, well, what services can I 
get rid of and I go to cancel that one and it's like but wait a second what if we gave you six months for like 30 cents oh and yeah I'm like yeah oh how do I say no to that no star- uh, well because so, yeah. yeah and yeah so I don't we you know hey stars is not a sponsor of this show they could be if they would like to be so <laughs> stars you may email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com and yeah. offer us money that those stars bucks there yeah <sighs> Uh, and yeah, no, Stars is great. You know, if you want to watch a Spider Man movie, a lot of them are on there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like, yeah, there's usually some fun stuff. I was watching Lake Placid on Stars recently okay. because it's like, yeah, you go, you're, you're, you're going to find something that's going to fit your mood. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I've been, so like, that's kind of one, like, Lake Placid that I've, that I've thrown on. Uh, a couple of times and even uh, my wife who does not uh, you know she doesn't really expand her streaming horizons as much as I do but right. when I looked on on our recently played uh, as I was watching Multiplicity after I finished watching Multiplicity last night I knew exactly what she was doing because uh, when I went back to the main menu recently played was showing The Devil Wears Prada and that had not ah. been that had not been recently played when I came and turned on stars so gotcha very uh, interesting you know yeah so anyway stars is there for you and um they're gonna offer you a great deal when you try to leave so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah good on them they, they've figured it i mean out. it clearly uh, works because you and i are both subscribing to stars right yeah no totally um yeah so we're going back to to 96 our last episode was 86 yeah this movie is little china 25 it is the uh quadricentennial quadrennial celebration of the release of multiplicity and everything else that came out in 96 yeah uh and you know i feel like i i watched this movie and had a very different experience from how i remembered it from when i was a kid and you know this movie came out when i was 13 i probably didn't see it till i was maybe 14 i could have still been 13 i'm not sure and you know at the time i was like still watching movies as like just entertainment i and the part of me that kind of saw it something's more like analytically it was more when i was like 15 16 and then when i was like 17 that's when like i really wanted to like you know movies to like really be part of my life and uh, then I went to college for film studies and I uh, now it's like if a day goes by and Dan I'm sure you feel this way maybe not all the time but probably a lot of time but like if a day goes by where I haven't watched a movie then something just doesn't feel right uh, <laughs> do you do you get that sometimes where it's just like I just need to like put something on just so that I can like check that box off do you ever get that? Uh, you know, I do know what you're talking about. Um, I've actually, yeah. I've recently been in the habit of, so, I, you know, by the time, I, I don't have a whole lot of movie watching uh, in me by the time I get to the end of my day. Yeah. And it's usually, like, I'm I'm going to be good for maybe 20 minutes before I just fall asleep and then wake up 
in my rocking chair an hour later because I'm an old man. And yeah, uh, <laughs> but I found myself like it used to be like, OK, what's a show like? What's a show that I can put on? And I'm yeah. like, I don't even want new shit. I just I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I want to watch the first 20 minutes of a movie. Like, I want the studio logo. I want the, uh, you know, I want to hear the different. Universal song. And yes, I it, want. Yeah. Like, I want to. I'm, I'm like, I just want to watch the opening of of a movie and get that just that like that kick. Um, and it's almost always an older movie that right. I'm just like, oh, I just want that little like that little burst, that little I just need that little hit of of nostalgia of like movie going nostalgia. Right. Yeah. No, it, it really does something to the soul where it's just like I will put on a TriStar movie like just to see the logo oh, in here. Yeah. Gotta see what Pegasus. Dun, dun. That's yeah. That's a really great fanfare too. Dun, 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 Big dun, shout dun, out dun, to TriStar. Oh, so good, <laughs> so, so good. If if you wanted to see a good PG thirteen movie in the mid in the late eighties, early nineties, TriStar was your studio. TriStar was there for you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, I you know I. I was thinking about this movie, and I was thinking about kind of like where. I was when I first saw this movie versus where I am now. And it's like the world is different than it was in 1996. And I think that in term in, in what I'm about to speak about, I feel like it's, it's, it's a good thing that it's different from the way that it was in 96. And what I mean is, you know, things that are very present in my mind, um, you know, our society is more aware of the divide between the rich and the poor and and i mean not everybody sees this but you know i i see this and uh the the divide between you know white people and people of color and you know like i guess un uneducated versus educated but that's kind of like the first two things combined and i uh, personally like i feel like i have a better understanding of neurodiversity and mental illness and a better understanding of like struggles and triumphs of like members of the lgbt plus communities which in 1996 it's like it wasn't something i was thinking about a lot and this is not specific to like multiplicity this is just like the movies in that time the way that i'm seeing them now and the way that i see them in the past is so different and um it's it's interesting because like it's not always fun to watch movies that were made in the past because you know a movie isn't something that's frozen in time and uh, like multiplicity doesn't only exist in 1996 it's the same way that like you know if you're watching a movie with the twin towers in it uh now you can't help but think about 9-11 i know it's kind of an extreme example well, not but now like, that you said it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was me saying it that's going to change it for you now. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, so, no, it's yeah. di it's different now. I mean, I so in that specific example, I feel like it's different now. I think also some movies can some movies translate better, and also some movies kind of get away more with being a like. And you're right, they, they're they not trapped in a time, but if when we look at them, some movies work as a sign of the times. And, yeah. um, you know, a, a movie that I thought about a lot while watching Multiplicity that I think kind of fits that 
that category, uh, especially in terms of a lot of the issues in multiplicity, is like Mr. Mom, which yeah, very, very dated uh, yes. indeed. But yet it is also it, it when you look at it in the context of the early 1980s, it has a there's a certain like progressiveness to it. Yeah, I th- I agree. And it's more so you, you know, can you can get, you like you watch it and you're like, OK, all right. So if I get what was going on in the 80s and the gender roles and all that, it, it's kind of it's I mean, we've right. talked about a lot of movies. Like Tootsie is another movie that it kind of fits into that where you, you 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 even though it's not frozen in time, you kind of need to watch it as of its time. Yes, except the ending of Tootsie. And you can go back to our episode where we talk about Tootsie. That was pretty early on. But the ending where, you know, uh, Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange kind of like walk off together where she knows who he is. And it's like, really? Like, he did something that's kind of very unforgivable. Well, and... uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but and then that's also, but then I mean, you look at it and you say, okay, well, that would and that was part of, and that's also what nineteen eighty two. Yeah, and right, the lack of of consequences for uh, you know deceiving people, and in fact, yeah. not just the lack of consequences, but the presence of reward. Yes. Oh, yeah. That. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I just want to circle back a little bit because I was, I watched this. uh, Well, I'm I'm thinking a lot about watching this movie now versus watching it when it first came out, because when it first came out, my experience with Michael Keaton was the Batman movies, which I most certainly saw in the theater. And I, I don't really remember if I was exposed to too much more Michael Keaton than that. Beetlejuice. And oh, Beetlejuice. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Uh, you know, sometimes just forget because he blends so much into that character. Right. That like Beetlejuice almost seems like it was played by Beetlejuice and not a real person. <laughs> and Beetlejuice as himself. Uh, yeah. Had you totally. not seen the dream, the dream team? Was that I don't not think one? so. Was not, no, I mean, I just I know I saw no. that one in in the theater, and that was kind of that. I mean, honestly, that's another one that just because of uh, you know what we know and our like you know attitudes towards mental illness and treatments of yeah. mental illness and um, you know that empathy for people with mental illness. The Dream Team is another one that definitely has some flaws moving forward because yeah i mean yeah they play a group it's kind of it's 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 kind of like they're based on one flew over the cuckoo's nest with with got it i haven't seen it i I need to yeah check it out you know um i mean like there's a lot about it that i feel like i watched it not too long ago but Uh there's definitely some things that work about it um and there's but but you there are the things that you notice and the things that we, yeah. that you look at and you're like this was being played for laughs then, but it's not right. okay. Uh, Dudley Moore, uh, Daryl Hannah, and Crazy People, another one. Yeah, 
Uh, well, where, even a movie called Crazy People wouldn't well, fly now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, just thinking about Michael Keaton and the way that I was exposed to him before seeing Multiplicity the first time and versus now where I've seen him in things like Birdman or Spotlight or even like the other guys. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of have his future as a like a context to look back on his past and i think that it made me even appreciate him more in the paper because of that which he's perfect in and i think that i liked it even more having like seen where his career went and i mean multiple cities came out after the paper too or like uh even watching a movie like night shift um you know i look back on his early career with the context of his kind of current career and it shapes the way that I view the movie because of the appreciation that I've had for the person that he's become, the actor that he's become. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's interesting because Eugene Levy in this movie also hits different because, you know, we're also used to his character from like Schitt's Creek or just like being the father to Dan Levy. And, uh, you know, we, I think, were a little bit more aware of him earlier on because of his Christopher Guest movies. But this multiplicity was before, was a year before Waiting for Guffman. Right. So, uh, but so Eugene, he hadn't, SCTV. Well, SCTV also, like, I remember, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Well, I was going to say, but like in, in Multiplicity, and we'll talk, of course, about the synopsis and everything, but he plays like a, you know, a sleazy kind of like pavement guy. And like, we're used, at this point, we've seen a lot of him playing these kind of like sleazy characters, like in Splash, he's kind of just like a, you know, weirdo kind of sleaze. And a lot of his SCTV characters maybe aside from like game show hosts are pretty much just like grease balls. Yeah. And I, uh, it's interesting because his career has really transformed and I, other people probably have, are used to seeing him in like the American pie movies where he's a very mild mannered, sweet dad figure, which is still very different, a big departure from like his early career. So it's like, even whether you went down one trajectory or the other of his, you know, his performances, I think that everybody kind of lands back on Schitt's Creek these days, but it's, it changes things. It's, it's interesting because you look at multiplicity and you think like, Oh man, they totally like underutilized Eugene Levy and whatever. But it's like, yeah, but like he hadn't really shown us like, his full, full potential. I mean, aside from SCTV, a lot of his film work was a lot of these types of characters. Right. Yeah. And I, I should note the, uh, the movie where they tried to make him a romantic lead, uh, armed and dangerous, which was on HBO so much when we were kids, uh, where he and John Candy are, are teamed up little SCTV reunion with Meg Ryan and Meg Ryan's so good. Yeah. Um, I love Meg Ryan. Yeah, I yeah yeah yeah. Put it out there for Meg Ryan. I'll just say I uh, I'm not going to say what movie it was because we might do it sometime soon. But I watched a Meg Ryan movie the other night, and I was like, man, she's so good. Like, especially like 80s 
early nineties. Like when she's, when, when she's on, she's on. Yeah. Meg Ryan. So, and not to get too far away from tangent, but yeah, I I feel like Eugene Levy's, uh, like his work kind of, I think with waiting for Guffman took on a new dimension. And then, I mean, in a mighty wind, he's so brilliant in that. Yeah. Like that's my favorite role of his still hands down. Uh, for just so many, so many, so many reasons. He just transforms into this other person. Like sad and hilarious at the same time yeah. and believable. So incredibly yeah. believable. Yeah. And with a beautiful voice. Yeah. Beautiful singing voice. Well, kiss at the end yeah. of the Oscar nominated. Oh, kiss at the end of the rainbow. All, all of the Mitch and Mickey stuff. Love it. So good. Um, so good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So well, anyway. anyway. Oh, oh. I just, I'm almost done with my like kind of thought train here. Oh, cool. uh, (laughs) Sorry. I'll get out of the way of the train here. I'll get off the tracks. No, 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 no. (laughs) So uh, I, I I was just thinking more coming through. No, 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 no. I was just thinking more about, you know, hindsight and, you know, movies just not being frozen in time. And, and multiplicity is such an interesting episode to talk about this on because, you know, some this the idea of hindsight's been on my mind a lot and a lot of the 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 ideas of approaching things with a new mindset has been in my idea um you know i work on myself a lot in like therapy or my day job which is you know a cultural institution like dedicated to learning and growing with its audience and you know, I'm also deep in the throes of developing Statue of Limitations, this po- this podcast project that I'm working on, which is all about hindsight. It, Dan, you'll remember, it really started off because we were talking about something in our yeah. imaginations called the Hindsight Awards. <laughs> and it really developed further and further because it's just like thinking more about like being responsible and, uh, you know, a- and equitable. And, um, you know, it's not a new concept and, you know, some of the like highest regarded critics, uh, go back and amend their original reviews years later. So, you know, re like looking back at movies from the past and reconsidering their greatness is not a, a new thing or reconsidering their not greatness, uh, you True. know, and I'm saying that True. in the sense of multiplicity in kind of a way. And, uh, you know, a movie will work for somebody or not work for somebody, depending on what that person is bringing into the theater or the TV and VCR DVD player, Blu-ray player. And, you know, it's like either it fits or it doesn't. And um, I don't know. Streaming I, I, that's service. just like a stars. Streaming stars. Yeah. Stars. (laughs) And uh, yeah. Anyway, it's just like something that I was thinking about, about just like why I love movies so much. And it's just like, because depending on who you are on a given day changes the way that you watch them. So Mm. watching a movie multiple times doesn't mean that you're seeing the same movie every time. Really? You're seeing the same pictures and hearing the same sounds and stuff, but like the way that it, yeah, the way that it hits you is usually going to be at least a little different. So yeah. anyway, it was, no, and, it's actually a funny thing. I was talking, I was, I was having a conversation with a colleague today, uh, just very similarly about how like the best movies are ones that you, you watch and you're, and they kind of grow with you and yeah. you notice different things. And right. I think, you know, it's just interesting to take a look at movies of the past and think, okay, what can we, 
what can we carry forward and what should we leave behind? What, yeah. What should we leave in, in behind and and what should we, and I mean, that's really part of what, what we are talking about here is taking a look at these older movies. Some of them, we, which, you know, really don't translate well today and saying, how can these, what can we take forward from this? How can we apply this to right. our, you know, contemporary audience. Or even if we look at a movie like Gaslight, 1944, mm. it's well. like great movie at the time, but its significance is like much stronger now, especially because it coined a term for what the movie is talking about. And, and, and you know, it, it's given a... a a keyword for something that people experience all the time. And I, uh, you know, just deserves so much more credit now than it would have gotten then, because who knew then that it would have really resonated with people this much. Right. All these years later, you know, you never know. And it's interestingly enough, having this conversation earlier today in a very different context about uh, Rick Astley. Uh, <laughs> I oh, asked, really? I, I asked my, 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 my students, about like what are things uh, about like what are elements of pop culture today that would tell someone from the future what life in 2021 was like and I asked them to paste images and someone pasted a still from the never gonna give you up video and I was like this kind of creates a paradox because this is very much a product of the 80s but it is more popular now than it was then for a very different reason for a very different reason though I I think that accident I think like it's almost like accidentally Rick Astley has gained more respect uh, and that the song actually, you know, just from the fun of it and the fact that it's involved in like a game and a, I don't know, an internet trend yeah. that that it takes that like it almost ta- it takes on a different life and a different meaning now in a yeah. very different way than what we're talking about here. Right. Yes. Yeah. Should we talk about multiplicity? We should definitely talk about multiplicity. <laughs> I, you know, I was just like, we're about to talk about a movie that is in a lot of ways looked at as being so dumb and very much a product of its time. I mean, I think that 96 was like the Dolly the Sheep year, you know, when cloning was just like all over the news and uh, there it's very, you know, it's gimmicky and stuff, but like, you know, I watching it, I was I don't know. I think that I was just watching it when I was in the right mode to absorb it differently. Not to say it's a perfect movie. Yeah, I think I think I definitely was in it was definitely a different uh, viewing experience for me, though. I have to say in a lot of ways it wasn't. I'm going to I'm going to get to that. In a, I actually, screw it. I might get to it right now. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't remember. Like, Multiplicity was a movie that I wanted to always like a lot more than I did. And well, it's got so many elements that are attractive. It's got Michael Keaton. It's directed by Harold Ramis. I mean, who's not a Harris Yulin fan? I, I mean. It's got Eugene no Levy. It's it's got Brian Doyle Murray. Oh yeah, I mean, no, the the cast is is great and and the the crew is great. But I don't know, there was something about it that never felt like it just didn't feel like it clicked for me and I yeah. think I was able to 
piece that together on this viewing. I think I had a lot of moments of like, oh, that's why I'm not crazy about this movie. I got the feeling that there was a lot that hit the cutting room floor and uh, we have no way of finding out currently like exactly what went down but I just get the impression that it was like a studio a bunch of studio notes that were just like just cut this cut this and cut this simplify it make it you know a fun romp and more 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 for yeah Yeah, exactly for that silly guy yeah let's synopsize so people will if you haven't seen it will know what we're talking about when we say for facts Doug Kinney is a lot of things. He's a loving husband to Laura, caring father to Zach and Jennifer, and a competent contractor at a Los Angeles construction company. His biggest problem is that he's only one person and spread very thin. But when he meets a geneticist on one of his jobs, his life begins to turn around. In what seems like 15 minutes, Dr. Leeds helps Doug get what he wants, to be in two places at the same time, simply by cloning him. The plan seems simple. Doug 1 focuses on his family and relaxing, while Doug 2 focuses on work. As Doug 2 excels on the job site, Doug 1 finds that helping around the house doesn't leave him much time for his leisure activities, especially since Laura took a real estate job. Doug 1 decides that the best option is to have a third Doug take care of the household duties so Doug 1 can go out and enjoy his life. While Doug's 2 and 3 live in Doug 1's guest house, they decide to get some help for themselves, so they create Doug 4. Except when you clone a clone, it doesn't exactly turn out right. Doug 1 establishes two rules. Only Doug 1 can sleep with Laura, and no more Doug's. Things get even more out of hand when Doug 1 goes out of town on a sailing trip and leaves Doug 3 to handle things at home with Laura and the kids. But everything goes haywire when Laura gets all horned up and not only sleeps with Doug 3, then Doug 2, but also Doug 4. On top of that, Doug 2 gets sick the next day and can't make it to a major building inspection. Doug 3 goes in his place, but doesn't know anything about the project, which results in an angry inspector and Doug losing his job. Meanwhile, Laura keeps trying to talk to different Dougs about her woes, but none of them seem to give her the response she wants or needs. It becomes even worse when she complains about Doug's lax attitude regarding their unfinished house projects. She leaves with the kids to stay with her mom, which Doug 1 only finds out about after he returns from his sailing trip. He also finds out that he got fired and realizes that he's gone about having four of himself all wrong. He and the other three Dugs spend time finishing the house project, and Doug goes out to get Laura back. He shows actual remorse for not being the best version of himself and vows to change. It doesn't hurt that he's completed the house of Laura's dreams. The three Dugs all decide to take off for Florida and start their own business, while Doug number one works on being the number one Doug. <laughs> eh? Nice. Thank Ni- you. Well played. Well, I. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there's a lot about this movie. By the way, uh, Michael Keaton plays the Dugs. Andy McDowell is Laura. Kids are kids, you know. You that's, got uh, that's pretty much it. it. 
John Delancey in there as a the right. as like his rival at work. Richard yeah. Mazur as as their as their boss. Richard Mazur, who's great, but you know, and Lowell Gans, Babalu Mandel, all star. Yes. Well, we did not mention that they are credited as writers on this. Yes. I. Uh, I, it seemed like they came in to kind of like fix the script because it it says that it was written by the the person who came up with the concept and his writing partner. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. And then it credits Lowell Gans and Babalu Mendel. Go to RT Public Store and buy your written by Babalu Mendel and Lowell Gans shirt. And I heard that Harold Ramis claims to have written the bulk of the script. So about 40, what I read was that he did right. not get credit. Cause you had to write, you had to contribute at least 50% to get credit. And yes. he contributed like 40%. Yeah. So it's clearly gone through a lot of hands and, uh, you can tell you really can. It is patched and stitched together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is, it is a, it is, yeah, it plays like a third generation clone. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. yeah, and you know, there's just a lot of things where it's like they introduce, a, you know, a what seems like it would be a thread, but then they never return to it. And uh, I don't know, there's just things that you always wonder about. And you, Harris Yulin plays Dr. Leeds, and like you only ever really see or hear about him like a little bit. Is and it- it's just like... And I love Harris Eulin, but I don't know if it's just me, but I was watching that scene and I was like, I love Harris Eulin, but I would love to see Rip Torn doing this scene. (laughs) Oh, Rip Torn would be... I mean, I like Harris Eulin. No, Harris Eulin... Look, Harris Eulin's great. Love Stort saves his family. Hey, another Harold Ramis joint. Uh, Yeah. Right around the same time, too. uh, Uh, Yeah. Yeah, let's listen to the scene where... where This is pre-cloning, but this is where... Uh, Dr. Leeds tells, uh, he's just told Doug that he can change his life. I feel guilty because I don't spend enough time with my wife and my kids, and then I, I get resentful about it because I feel like I should, you know, maybe get a little time for myself. It's like work is first, and my family is a close second, and I'm a, I'm a distant third bringing up the rear, you know? Oh, I don't know. Is that crazy? I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> anyway, you don't need one. These problems are not in your mind. They're real. They require real solutions. Well, then, what do you do? Oh, I told you. I make miracles. I create time. I make clones. Okay. Uh, Doug, <laughs> sit down. I'm a geneticist. Fifteen years ago, I started cloning viruses. Can't have too many viruses. Yes, you and can. Ten years ago, I cloned an earthworm. God bless you, sir. And then, a chimp. Yeah. And then last year, well, 
last year. Hi there. Ah, just in time. Oh, hello. This is Doug Kinney. He's doing our new offices. Oh, sure, I know Doug. He and I went over the plans one day. Oh, yeah, you were sailing. Ah. <laughs> you understand what I'm suggesting? Yeah, sure. So it's not to understand. You, uh, you Xerox people. In a way. Sort of. <laughs> Procedure takes about two hours. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, more, more or less. Takes more or less. More or less. And at the end, you have everything you need. What is it that uh, you know that I, that I need? Time. So yeah, that's pretty much the extent of Harris Eulen's appearance in this movie. There's a little bit more. But. Well, and there's two of them in that scene, so. Yeah. Double the Harris. Double the Harris Eulen, yeah. So, I, I, I don't know. I have a question. What's up? Is it at any point explained why the clones are just come out at, the age that you are and they're not like it's not cloned genetic material that like is a baby that is genetically identical to the person i i you know it's not really explained you know it's just basically said like they are you up to that point all of your memories all of everything is exactly the same and it's just like here you go accept it yeah, you know? I mean, it's not my biggest problem with the movie, but it was just something I was that I kept thinking. Of. I, was, I was like, but wouldn't the clone have to be, you know, like a a a, a baby? Like you don't you don't just you know in two hours have the procedure and then there's a you know forty year old guy. Well, I think that for the purposes of this type of movie. It's just like, right. there's only, that's the only way you can do it. Uh, I get what you're saying, though. I mean. No, I know. Know. And this is, this was definitely not something I thought about when I first saw it. <laughs> no, no. When I watched this movie when I was, you know, 13 or 14, I saw it for what it was. A goofball comedy with a a, a gimmick that was very much just like, look what we can do. More mm-hmm. than we're doing this for a reason, and uh, you know, in a lot of a lot of times watching it, it works and it's effective. But I feel like a lot of the times you're meant to just sit there and look at it and be like, "How'd they do that shot? How'd they do that? Oh my god, how'd they do that?" And uh, I think that that's kind of what this movie is more supposed to be than like an, a real like. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it's all gimmick. Um, which I, which actually brings me to what I was thinking. And it, it's funny because I'm, I'm a big fan of Michael Keaton. I love Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. But I just kept watching this movie thinking that it would probably be funnier and better with Jim Carrey. If it was a Jim Carrey movie, then I think you would be able to get away with more of the ridiculousness. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is right. This I is do like have a year say, before Liar Liar. So, right. Well, I mean, this is after his big year. This, I mean, this opened like against Cable Guy or like right around the same time oh. as Cable Guy. Well, I and I'm going to play a clip that demonstrates this wonderfully, but I feel like Michael Keaton 
does a really good job of making each version of himself more distinct so that whenever you see the one, you know for sure which one it is. So I, and Dan, you asked me to pull this clip. This is when we uh, were about to meet number four. Yeah, yeah. One, two, three. Twelve. Doug, I'd like you to meet four. I got a lot. That guy gave it to me. I'm gonna drive a car. He's got a wallet. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Where did he come from? He's gonna help us out around here a little bit. Just, you know. Yeah, you know, do the day-to-day stuff. Clean the house and mow the lawn, take out trash. All the bullshit we don't have time to do. Forget that! Forget that! What the hell's wrong with him? Nothing. Um, you know, nothing really wrong. You know, he's, uh, he's a little special. He's fine. He'll be all right. Yeah, he's special, all right. Doug, see, what we did was... We made a copy from two. And you know how sometimes you make a copy of a copy, it's not quite as sharp as, well, the original. Well, that's kind of what happened. Leeds loved it. He loved it because he was, you know, very experimental. And we got a great deal on it, too. Very cheap. Leeds loved it, huh? Good. I'm glad Leeds loved it. Because I hate it. I... You can't just go around cloning people. That's just, that's crazy. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right, listen up. Listen really clearly to me. Rule number two. First of all, we all remember rule number one. No, no sleep with your wife. wife. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. in here. I got it. All right, all right. That's important. Rule number two. No more dugs. That's it. All right, this is all plenty, right. I think. This I'm going to call Leeds yeah, first thing in the morning. We're out of the dug making business altogether. All right? Store's closed. Am I clear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I clear on this? Got it. Book is closed on that one. So I get what you're saying about an actor like Jim Carrey being better in terms of making the movie, making you feel more comfortable with ignoring the ridiculousness of it. And I think that's just because Michael Keaton feels like a real person and Jim Carrey feels like a cartoon character. And... I think that I like that Michael Keaton feels like a contractor. You know? I like that. Uh, I do like that. And I have to point out, though, I, I was reading Roger Ebert's review uh-huh. of Multiplicity, and he points out, I'm quoting here, Dr. Leeds explain. well, actually, Dr. Leeds doesn't explain this, but uh, explains that 4 was cloned from a copy, not the original Although with digital methods, the copy should not have degraded. <laughs> so they're basically sa- basically saying that, like, yes, when you are making a photocopy of a photocopy, yeah. the quality degrades. But th- anyway, I thought that was <laughs> it was like he just kind of per- parenthetically nitpicks at it. Uh, well, uh, yeah, who could blame him? You know? Yeah. I and so just the other day, I said out loud like 
what would it cost to have a like a daily housekeeper? I mean, like, I am not getting a housekeeper. We are not, we do not have that kind of money. But like a a daily housekeeper, maybe some sort of like nanny situation for after school stuff or whatever. And certainly that would cost less than getting yourself cloned. Like, there's no way that what Dr. Leeds does is cheap. And Michael Keaton does it twice and his clones do it once. And it's just like, I have no idea what the structure is for money in this family. What exactly oh. is going on? Because it's, he can't be making th- uh, that kind of like cloning yourself several times over money. Oh, you see, I was under the impression that he was kind of a test subject because it didn't. I didn't get the impression that Dr. Leeds had cloned any human other than himself and that now he right. was experimenting and I so that that that's the one thing in the movie that I was like, okay, yeah, that but makes sense. but when in the in the scene earlier where he meets the two Harris Eulens, the scene ends with him asking, "How much does this cost?" And then they just kind of like look at him, and then he just goes and he gets cloned. And then in that scene that we just listened to, they said that you that Eulen that leads gave them a good deal yes, on it. Yes, so it's yes. like. Certainly money is being exchanged. Yeah, yeah. But also it's like the logistics of this is just like, oh, what happens if one of them like breaks a bone? Then do does that end up on like the medical insurance and the record for forever for whichever Doug? And it's just like getting an x-ray years later. It's like, uh, this bone was never broken. Why does it say you broke a bone? You know, it's just like the, the logistics of this are... It, I, it just breaks my brain. Um, and I think that the that having so many Dugs makes those questions like, you know, like the Richter scale. Every time you go up a number, it's not just like the double of the number. It's like increasing it by that. Right. Many. It was like squaring the numbers or whatever. And uh, it's it's almost like that with additional clones it, it increases the number of problems by so much more which and, we do uh, see <laughs> yeah we we totally do but like what i wanted from this movie okay more from andy mcdowell's character what is her job like does she have any friends i uh, we see her dad and putting the pieces together you kind of figure out by doing some like work in your mind that her parents are divorced. One of them lives, her mom lives in Palm Springs and her dad lives in LA where they live because you you look confused. Well, okay. So here's why. All right. So here's, I don't know. I guess maybe I missed something. Cause they said like, yeah, she went to her parents. She's in Palm Springs. The block that he goes like where he goes to find her yeah definitely doesn't look like palm spring no and i think that the thing is she went to stay with her mom i don't think that they said parents no so she went to stay with her mom who seems like is in palm springs because he also refers back to it saying referring to the desert and when he goes to when he goes there and she is with the kids about to take them to school she like Doug just like drives over there and then drives her back to the house 
it's he doesn't drive for two hours to get there, then two hours to go back, leaving the kids with the like grandfather to take them to school or well, whatever. I, I just figured that they were using like the it's kind of I call it like the Harold and Kumar Jersey geography where. But that's the thing is uh, and I get what you're saying. Yeah, Nothing like, makes sense. Yeah. yeah, where where it takes like five minutes to get from Hoboken to Trenton when that's right. a two hour drive sometimes. So, right. So like. I feel like there are too many things that are put into place where it's it it doesn't make sense and for no reason. Like they didn't have to have that. Like that's why I feel like a lot was cut out of this movie mm. and just like not stitched together properly or like edited out in the screenplay and they forgot to change certain things and then they were just like stuck with this. And so anyway, so I wanted to know more about her character because we learned nothing aside from the fact that she gets a job but she's unhappy uh what's going on with ann cusack's character uh who works with doug and goes on the date with doug too and like he tells her that he and his wife are separating it's just like okay there's a can of worms that we just don't get to experience at all um and then okay uh what does she think about this change in Doug who she's presumably been working with for a long time. And like, why are Doug's two and three so different from each other? So like, I would have wanted Doug to like talk to leads to be like, what's going on. And then maybe he explains like, you know, when you clone yourself, different aspects of your personality showcase themselves differently or something. And, you know, I, I don't know, just like something like that. And I don't know. I mean, honestly, it would have been interesting if like just thinking about that and throwing that in and also addressing the question of like, how is he paying for it? It would have been interesting if after he had two, he I mean, like number two, and it was just the two of them. And he went back and he was like, wait a second, how does this work? And Leeds is like, oh, well, this is what happens. And sometimes like he's like something I've been working on is actually focusing on bringing those traits out and then saying like, if you'd like, we could do this again and I could try to customize your clone. So they're setting up the like, okay, you're, you're a test subject. And I believe that there was, you know, like the, the concepts of like CRISPR genetic modification at that time, like in reality. And it almost seems like if they would have done more homework about genetics rather than just like screenwriter genetics, geneticist, where it's just like, and he's a geneticist and he just makes a clone, but puts him on the on the slab and hooks him up to a machine, knocks him out. And uh, yeah, it makes me think of another movie that came out a, a little bit over a year after Multiplicity, Gattaca, which... That's right. Addressed like genetic science and things like that. And, uh, you know, yeah. that kind of like near future genetics, which I feel like Gattaca did it in a in a much more scientific way. I mean, I know Gattaca did oh, it in a much more yeah. scientific way, but yeah, it, it I watched it recently. Credi- I watched credible. it recently. It's it's so good. It really I haven't seen it in a while, but it's one of those movies that I, I don't know. I feel like that's one that Hawk, kind of Jude gets, Law. It's it's gets great. better. Uma. Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. Yeah. It's, Alan Arkin it's is really, in that. Alan, Alan Arkin, Arkin is, is great in, in that. Alan Arkin is fantastic in it. Yes. I. Uh, so. Anyway. You know <laughs> what I was time. just actually thinking about? Uh, 
You know, you were talking about the Rick Astley thing and talking about things from an era that really mark the moment in time. There was something in this movie that perfectly puts it in 1996. Is there any way that you know what I'm thinking of? Oh, hold on. I'm thinking. Uh, like, yes, of course, this is a very like mid 90s kind of movie. But there's one. There's an object. Oh, an object. I really. <laughs> cements it into that exact moment in time i was like the music really uh no it, it has nothing to do with like the the film or the filmmaking oh, it's an, it's an a object in it a prop in it that that's really like, it's put, it's just you don't even see it dan you don't know what i'm talking about there is a vianetta in the freezer yes no i know exactly what yes uh-huh <laughs> yep and sure enough i was I, like oh i haven't had that in ages I saw that Vianetta box in their freezer and I was like, yes. 1996, baby. Yep. We got a Vianetta. It's going to saving it for a fancy night. <laughs> so anyway. Abs- yes. Okay. Loved yeah. the Vianetta. Yeah. So I would have never guessed it in a million years, but as soon as you said no. it, I definitely noticed it. I it, saw you struggling and I was like, I'm going to just put you out of your misery. <laughs> it definitely. But the, no, the Vianetta definitely caught my eye. Uh, yeah. I was like, oh, no, you know, actually, you know what I should have guessed? The Coke bottle. the bo- like, Oh. The, yeah, the, when he's, like, feeding three the soda <laughs> to get him to talk. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the, the, that, uh, that it was, like, the two-liter, it was a two-liter Coke bottle, um, but I'm pretty sure it was the one with, like, Santa Claus on it when... Oh. Yeah, when they yeah. did, and I don't know, I haven't bought a two-liter bottle of Coke in, in quite some time. Yeah. But uh, I saw that, and it, to me, that took me back to 1996. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Between that and the Vianetta. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I... There's something that I want to bring up, but I feel like it might lead us too much into our our next kind of segment about what we would do with this movie. So Dan, I mean, what were your thoughts about this? What was your experience like watching this again? Frustrating. Uh, Honestly, I I mean, like, honestly, I mean, okay. So it doesn't help that I'm trying to watch this. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. It takes like, I sit down to watch it and I fall asleep. So, and that has very little to do with the movie, but also (laughs) I like a lot of the, I was watching it and I was like, man, Doug's an asshole. And uh yeah. and actually so and and I um you know, I don't one might not have anything to do with the other, but of course the name Doug Kinney is yes. taken from Doug Kenny and actually the 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 person who came up with the story was Chris Miller who's right. who co-wrote Animal House and his experiences were part of like what animal house was based on. Right. We talked about it on the Caddyshack episode. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Doug Doug Kenny, Kenny. who like, I mean, Harold Ramis was really good friends with him and people were really friendly with, you know, with him, but he could also be quite an asshole. And, um, and also kind of like had, I wonder how much of Doug Kenny inspired Doug Kinney because I feel like from all the stories I've heard and read Doug Kenny was someone who could very much be like one person one in one situation in one minute and then a different person in another situation at a different moment um 
So are you likening having a, a second version of yourself to being on cocaine for half of your life? I'm not not yeah. doing that, but <laughs> I just, I feel, and I guess it might be me trying to like reconcile and try to understand the character because it almost makes it more acceptable if I'm like, oh, this was like a, like kind of a tribute, kind of a thing to, to Doug Kenny. I, yeah. I was, but, but I was just frustrated and I was like, he's an ass. Like when he goes on the sailing trip, and- none of that made any sense to me. Oh, well, also, it's kind of like he got very excited about going sailing and uh, being on a boat, but he gets seasick nonstop. Yeah, I don't know. Also, Brian Doyle Murray and Julie Bowen. Well, Brian, father and daughter or dating. I could not figure it's either dating or husband and wife. And it's one it's clearly one of those like they're implying gold digger. Are they? I I feel like that because he's well, although they definitely seem to have a connection. Yeah, um, although, they seem to really like each other. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, know. they pass back and forth the bottle of shit. Like at first I was wondering because she seems to have like an interest in Doug. But then when they're on the boat, she and Brian Doyle Murray definitely are like she's not showing any interest in in Doug. But yeah. I just I got the impression I honestly got the impression that that's what they were going for with her character. I mean, it's a problem like the women in this movie are not uh, like aren't people. No. They're there to function as accessories for to the men. So Julie totally. Bowen isn't a human. She's just Brian Doyle Murray's hot young young wife. She's mo- got more yeah. of a character in Happy Gilmore same year. That's true. So, like, yeah, no, she's much more of a well-rounded character in Happy Gilmore than she is in this. And Andy McDowell, uh, if you you could compare this to, like, Groundhog Day, you know, also a, a, a Harold Ramis film where yeah. her character has more uh, more dimension in, in Groundhog right. Day. And, you like, you know, she's – like, first of all, you know what her job is, hello, because that's – You know what her like, job is. You learn yeah. what her interests are. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess you don't know whether or not she has friends, but then again, in four weddings and a funeral, you don't really find that out either. Well, yeah. Except I for mean, the people the whose thing... weddings and funerals she's going to. I mean, the the problem with Groundhog Day and finding out what her life is like is that it takes place on in one day and, uh, you know, she's there for work. You know, it's not like... I mean, I guess she could talk about her friends. I don't know. Anyway. Well, right. No, I'm not. I'm not critiquing Groundhog Day for that. In yeah. fact, I think Groundhog Day presents a much uh, a much better portrayal of a character who, first of all, is basically admittedly an asshole, and right. comes to change in a in a. Uh, I mean, like the circumstances are supernatural, but his transformation is feels more natural in Groundhog Day and his evolution. And yeah. whereas in this, I don't feel like there's any like there's some repercussion, but it's not a serious consequence for what he's doing. She never finds she never finds out, which is insane yeah. because she sleeps with it's all of problem. the clones within like 30 minutes. Yeah. So um, and it's like I'm like, she wouldn't like what she just thinks that. I'm like, she's got to be smarter than that. 
I really didn't like right. how she was just made to seem stupid about like how he's like the 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 part where um Doug the the original Doug uh yeah. swaps places with uh Doug three. They're wearing totally different clothes. And, I know. And and he's oh yeah I was wearing this the whole time and, and she's just like oh wow I must be and it, uh he's gaslighting her he's I must be going crazy. <sighs> Totally gaslighting her. Yeah. No. He he should have, you know, come clean to her at some point. And, yes. you know, instead she sees a car with three Dugs in it. It's like the video for Ironic. There's like the three of them in the car. And she uh, is just like, I must be going crazy. I'm seeing things. You know how you know when you really love someone? Yeah, you think you see them everywhere, yeah, <laughs> or something like that. It's totally like it just down. Unless you look at it even deeper and say that she's a character in deep denial, and like if you're analyzing, you're putting the pieces together about like her parents being divorced and how she's so unwilling to see any flaw. Although she leaves him, she leaves him. Yeah. So what? That doesn't work. It. it yeah. Yeah. Maybe there was stuff left on the cutting room floor. Or maybe this was just all about the gimmick. A couple of interesting connections um, that I wanted to note, though. Uh-huh. Uh, there's actually I found two connections with Beetlejuice. So first of all, a cameo by Mr. Glenn Shaddix, a.k.a. Yes. Otho, Otho. Uh, as, as the building inspector. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I definitely had that moment with like, that looks like, that sounds like, it's is that Otho? Yeah, I clocked it right away. I, was I like, had that, like, oh, I no. wanted him to, like, look at a wall and just, like, you know, uh, was it the color he says? Like, I wanted him to spray mauve, mauve on a wall yeah. or something. And then, <laughs> and and there's, a, and Ke- Michael Keaton has a line where he references, like, the exorcist or says, like, I don't know, honey, call an exorcist. I don't know what's going on with me. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. like, there's something about Michael Keaton talking about The Exorcist that just, I don't know, that one, that puts a little uh, glimmer in my heart. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I that's the thing is it's like, it's clearly not a good movie, but with all of the Michael Keaton that's been inserted into my life that makes me respect him more and more and more, seeing him do this, even when he's playing like Doug Four. I'm having fun with it. And I I'm I love his physicality. We talked about this in our uh episode on the paper, but like he moves in a really fun way and Energy. I love to I love to watch it. And there were a lot of moments that I just like laughed like howled laughing out loud. Even something so dumb like when he goes golfing and he like takes the backswing and his phone rings and he like lets go of the club and he just kind of stays frozen into that position. I'm just like, it just got me. And I think that if it was a different actor, it wouldn't have gotten me as much. But the fact that it was him, like it, it affected me. I don't know. No, he's great. Although I'm, I'm trying to think about it and I'm thinking about the movies he did after this and I'm trying to think of a comedy he did between this and the other guys because all I think about was he yeah. was he was in a thr- after this he was in Jackie Brown, uh, Desperate Measures, right. a thriller well, with Andy Garcia. His uh, and he was in um, Out of Sight, same character as Jackie Brown. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I which I always enjoy uh those two kind of co- coexisting. Yeah, I know. He's the the thread. And yeah, I you know, it is interesting because it it did feel like he kind of dipped out for a while. And then when I saw him in the other guys, it was just like a Michael Keaton, you know, like that kind of a thing. And maybe it's just because it was a comedy and I, I he just really slipped away from doing the comedies. As it was much. Michael Keaton doing right. Michael Keaton doing doing comedy. Uh, I mean, like he does Jack Frost, but in 98. But that's right. like, yeah, that's that's a family movie. Uh, and then. Yeah, like he did a few. He was in First Daughter. He plays Katie Holmes' father. Right. And yeah. Like he did some voice. He did like a lot of these small movies. He was Lindsay Lohan's father in Herbie Fully Loaded. Gotcha. Uh, so just a lot of like smaller, smaller things. Yeah. A lot of small things, and then he he uh, comes in to play Ken in Toy Story Three, and I think that kind of started oh. him like back on back on the path so to speak and yeah he wound up in and, and then like the reboot of robo remake of robocop and then birdman right yeah birdman spotlight and then the uh spider-man homecoming yeah and, yeah the, you the know founder. Like, the founder right and yeah he's really like re-entered the scene in a pretty major way i think he's in two new things that are streaming. He's in that one that's about, uh, like, money for the families of the victims of oh, 9-11. And- he's in the one about the opioid crisis, isn't he? The Oh, uh, I don't know. I think he's, let, let me, Dope Sick. Yeah, Dope Sick. It's oh. a, oh, it's an eight-episode miniseries that's uh, going gotcha. to be on Hulu. I saw the, the uh trailer recently and it really looks fantastic he was in the protege with maggie q because that, that was maggie q in that right right that that's one that's new streaming i wanted to check that one out he was in trial um, of the chicago seven last year was he uh, yeah i remember him in that one uh i'm trying to remember oh man i uh, i really liked that movie but i liked it too I yeah i just there are so many memorable performances in it. I'm just for some reason blanking on Michael Keaton. Uh, oh, and he's going to be Batman speak- again in the Flash. He's going to be Batman again. Yeah. So you know, speaking of uh, straight to streaming, Dan, did you see that like limited series with Paul Rudd living with yourself? No, I have not. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have heard of it but okay so the premise of this it's it's a scent it's very multiplicity ish and it addresses a lot of the things that a lot of the gripes that we have you know he's a guy who's not performing well at his job he's not performing well in his marriage and like having a lot of problems at home and he goes to this spa like a co-worker of his seems to be like a new guy and he's like totally changed. And so he gives Paul Rudd's character a card for this spot and he goes there and it turns out that it, this like the spot is a front for a, uh, we, we learn as a cloning company. So basically what happens is they say, we're going to do this thing to you. That's going to just change your life. And he's like, well, if you can do for me what you did to that guy, like we're good. And he wakes up and he's 
this new person and he's got a new lease on life and he's like this, he's excelling at everything. He's a much better partner. He's a much better, uh, you know, employee. He's just killing it at work. And then uh, we learn that he is a clone of himself and the original version was like buried in a shallow grave. So like, it's the multiplicity rule where you're just essentially carbon copied at the exact age with all the same memories, except you're just a better version of yourself. And they just kind of like in multiplicity when he first meets himself to number two thinks that he's Doug one. And uh, cause he th- has had all the same memories. Right. So, Paul Rudd and it, Paul Rudd is so great at doing this, but like, you know, he uh, comes out of his grave, like he's woken up and manages to get out and he goes back to his house and his clone of himself is surprised to see the other version because as far as he knew, he was just getting this treatment to make himself, you know, rejuvenated. He didn't know he was so, the beta unit. He's the beta unit if we go to uh, last starfighter terminology. So anyway, uh, what that series did, it's like six, seven episodes or something, is essentially what we were kind of hoping would happen with this, where it's like you just have the one clone and they're trying to make things work and they turns out they start like it's more about their dynamic with each other. But you find out a lot more about the wife and and her life and everything and uh, it's not as cheeky and fun and goofy certainly it has its moments but it's a very dark comedy so i if that's where you were going with your idea for this one then i'm sorry but it's been taken <laughs> uh okay so there we are um we're 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 here we're at that point. Um, so, yeah, yes and no. Um, so one of my I, – I had two ideas. They're, they're very different. And I'll start with the TV series idea because okay. I, it's a TV series idea, but it is not that. It's actually like a um, like 1960s set, like really – a, a, and I, I, I think I might have made this suggestion for another movie before, <laughs> but a, a, a satirical series that takes on the tropes and satirizes like old 50s and 60s sitcoms with the, you know, kind of like, you know, the, what father knows best and, uh, you know, where the... You're also you've got that like atomic age type of like science fiction going on. So I feel like the cloning thing wouldn't necessarily feel out of place, but it feels like a very like a laugh tracky sitcom. And it's kind of like you could go through one season with like one clone and then maybe like you end season one with the third clone. And it's the type of thing where you could build gradually and, you know, play on the stereotypes of fifties and and sixties sitcoms that Uh that was where, where a lot, like a lot of this, like Andy McDowell pretty much just being like, you know, that, that like she would just be like Lucy Ricardo. Yeah. In that situation. Um, my 
other idea would um would would be a uh a sequel but uh it would be set now nowish uh and would involve one of one of the clones dying and or the original Doug dying and like the clones going to the and basically like they come like they come back together for the funeral and it's more more of like uh, a big chill but just like with a couple of Michael <laughs> Keaton's or uh, I was thinking of that or I was thinking of that uh, or um like a my dinner with Andre where it's just like Michael Keaton and his clone catching up after all after twenty five years. And I, I think the funeral idea came to me because they end up in Florida at the end. And I was like, oh, so what odds are one of the three of them got COVID at least. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely Doug Four. Oh, I mean, he licks everything. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So although I could see Doug Two being an ant like being a uh, an anti mess Definitely Doug- not three. No, no. Three would survive. So this would maybe be. Would well, be like- but here's the thing. You know that. At least two and three definitely believe in science. This is true. This is true. But I could see it being so much time since the cloning that like Doug and also like if they've lived in Florida all this time, uh, you know, they've been at least Doug too would would probably like buy into a lot of the like anti-mask, anti-vax stuff. I could see him doing that. Well, here's a question, Dan. Did Leeds create COVID-19? Oh, you can't have too many viruses. <laughs> Leeds goes off anyway. to Wuhan. No. Yeah, it's it's all uh, Doug Four's fault. Um, oh. He, he licks the bat. That would be, and then brings <laughs> it back to, yeah, he does it as a TikTok. Doug Four becomes an influencer. <laughs> Oh, a hundred percent. He totally yeah. becomes an influencer because of like, like they they have a whole new like licking like bat licking challenge on on TikTok. Oh my god! All right. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, that that's where I, I went love on the that big job. chill. I I love the big chill idea. It would work, right? Uh, a little little something different there. Yeah. No, I like it. Also, it keeps things contained. Yes. Because the the more characters you introduce and the more like locations you have, the more complicated it gets. And I get that like multiplicity is, you know, farcical and and you know, there there it's zany and there's the restaurant scene where they're the Doug one and Doug two are both there and they have to go all you know, very I- Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, I really just want to see what happens when like clones who are just kind of like spawned, especially clones who are born at like age 40, how they deal with with death and yeah. And how like how do they how do they cope with that? So I'm just like maybe it's Doug and then Doug one, two and three in a like at a the beach house or something. And they really just like there's a lot of dialogue, not a lot of action yeah probably not very funny and michael keaton will get his oscar <laughs> for multiplicity too yes um multiplicity yeah. too sure multiplicity <laughs> so many options <laughs> multiplicity three. Oh, there you go multiplicity three it's for a the trilogy 23rd. it's a trilogy another one dies and then just two of them get together <laughs> i like before sorry sunrise. uh it just so uh, when I was putting my daughter to to bed tonight, she 
Uh, she's four and, you know, she she's her counting is is good to a certain point. And uh, she was talking about like we were just like kind of riffing about this toy that she has who goes to school one day. And then I, and then I was like, oh, how many days are there in this week? And she starts like going on her fingers and toes, like counting, like essentially trying to count to what would be 20. But instead, she's just like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve, a hundred. And I was just like, okay, we took a turn there. And uh, she kind of stopped herself because I think that she realized that she was just like trailing off into a different dimension. You know, she left some numbers on the cutting room floor. It's all good. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Started off strong. She could make multiplicity. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see her version of multiplicity. As would I. Yeah. I... I I don't I don't mean to make this the uh, you know shit my four year old says moment, but you know I uh, a friend of hers asked me today, uh, would it be okay if uh, she came over and ate cupcakes with me? And of of course I was just like, uh, yeah, that'd be you know of course you would. So I asked, I tell her later, I was like, oh, just so you know, I'm not going to mention names, but so and so said that she wants you to come over and eat cupcakes with her, and she just goes. Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> and I was like, that's the perfect response to finding out that someone wants to eat cupcakes with you. It's like, yes, yes that, that would, would be, be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it's funny when you're, you, you realize the impact that you have on your child's vocabulary. And uh, it makes you wonder, like, what else am I saying? Because my daughter definitely says, come on, man, a lot. <laughs> Oh, you know what? You know what my daughter has picked up from me? End of story. End of story. <laughs> Which I say just like the guy in Fargo. That's it. End of story. End of story. <laughs> End of story. I love that guy. Oh my God. He's the best. So, Dan, I also had an idea for this movie. Yes. Tell uh, me. And, and I feel like there is room for a remake. And... I went through a lot of different names of who I would want to do this. And the one that I kept on coming back to was Billy Eichner. I feel like Billy Eichner is somebody who uh, has shown that he is, you know, capable of, you know, really bringing in a performance and, you know, has uh, layers and, and can display those at different times when it's needed. So, um, in this in this world of multiplicity not married not in a relationship but is still having a hard time with his work life balance and his job is working this takes place modern day uh takes place he's working for a venture capital firm for tech startups and he's evaluating a uh, a genetics company that's kind of akin to like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. And they're kind of having like an informal, like, you know, drinks at like lunch or whatever. And they have a bunch of drinks and they start to like really open up. And some of the guys at this tech startup are just like saying that they're experimenting with the idea of human cloning. And, uh, they like are talking about it and he's this guy's just like no i 
I think that I could, I think I figured out like how you could actually do, you know, the kind of thing that like only a conf, an overconfident drunk person would say. And I, uh, you know, drunk and having fun. Billy Eichner's character says, screw it and why not? And gives them some like hairs as like a joke. And a few weeks later, he's surprised when there's all of a sudden another him around. And uh, at first they like find a way to to make things work. Of course, you know, splitting up the work and the personal life kind of thing. You know, they split the work and they go on dates on different nights and stuff like that. But uh, as they go on and start to get a little bit looser, uh, they start to maybe trip up. And then maybe it's like, Maybe one of the guys at the tech startup uh, made a mistake and made another copy, like made another one. And it's just like things were going well. And then a third enters and then things just get nuts after that. So anyway, that's kind of where I was going with it. I mean, the idea of Billy Eichner doing it just sounds like it would be delightful. I also feel like yeah. it would be done better. I, th- I think the concept would probably be done better in in a remake. And I love the idea right. of Billy Eichner, though, when you mentioned the, like an accident and the third one happening, I was like, what does like a dog hair get get into the <laughs> thing like with his well, hair? You like, know, is it like Michael the fly? Keaton? Michael Keaton says like when he's getting put down on the table, like this is going to be like the the fly or Jeff Goldblum and help me help me like he does all that kind of thing. Um, so, no, I, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, they they lean on the button that makes another one pop out or something like that. I I don't know. But uh, I, you know, it's like, I feel like there's a way that you can make this concept work. And I think that what living with yourself did really well. The, the Paul Rudd series is that they kind of set it in a world where it's like, this thing is super underground and totally not legit, and very shady. Like, there's a whole lot more that goes on, and I highly recommend that people watch it. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to give anything away. Like, everything that I've said is basically in the first episode. So, like, watch for yourself and see what happens. But it's fascinating, and I think that, like, we are now in a time when, like, I'm not saying that people are actually doing this, but, like, the concept behind it, we were not stuck in the like 1996 Harold Ramis way of making movies where, you know, it's, you know, the, the comedy of it comes first and the, uh, the groundhog day of it all is like groundhog day is an outlier in which, they try they do their best not to explain anything like there's never a moment where like a guardian angel comes down and says i'm going to make you repeat the same day over and over again until you get it right uh, you know like there's never a moment like that and and i think that that's kind of an outlier and uh you know the exception to the rule for you know that 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 style of film but you know Things are, you know, we we certainly have a much better way of dealing with technology in movies 
these days, especially because like so many things that were so theoretical in the mid nineties are just like part of our everyday now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For better or for worse. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Anyway, I feel like I've done so much rambling on this episode. <laughs> no, it's 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 good though because like this is a movie with a complicated legacy and people there are people who love it and they're I mean it didn't I don't think it did very well at the box no, office. No. It I don't think it it didn't do uh, like critics basically said the same thing. They were like the parts that work work really well and then the rest yeah. of it and then there's the rest of it. So Yeah. And, and you know what? It's like this is a fun movie to watch if you can accept the fact that it is horse shit. I think it's probably <laughs> fun to watch like in in segments. Well, I yeah. mean, if you just want to watch a bunch of Michael Keaton's flail around, it's a perfect movie. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if that's all you're looking for, then that is what you will get. Absolutely. I love it. I yeah. love it when he gets all spastic. He's nobody does it better than him. No, no. Yeah. And this is this is like this is definitely like the classic M- Michael Keaton. Yeah. 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 I- I'd say like. You know, if you want to watch him do a lot of this kind of stuff in a movie that doesn't take a lot of leaps with science fiction, then just watch the paper uh, because he's all over the place in that movie. And it's a cohesive story that like, you know, is grounded in reality. Talk about someone who could have used a clone is Henry in the paper. Oh, man. Hey, all he needs is time. That's it. That's. The movie starts. You give us ten minutes, we'll give you the world. Ten that's, ten wins as the movie that's starts. Ten, ten wins. So, Dan, do you All want right. to tell everybody what we're doing on the next episode? Yeah, we're gonna bounce back to 1986 again. Yeah, uh, we're back for a very, very different journey. This time, we are heading to space. Space camp. Space camp. So, yes, we're doing Space Camp. It's Kate Capshaw and uh, Kelly Preston, Leaf Phoenix. Tate Donovan. Tate Donovan is up in there. And uh, Tom, Tom Skerritt. Skerritt. Yeah. And uh, is Martha Plimpton in that too? Or No, but you know who is in it, and I'm blanking on his name, but Lamar from Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yeah. Um, Phil. Phil um... I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, there we're going to talk about Space Camp on the next episode. Yeah, I'm really excited. As am I. I'm always I'm excited for every episode that we do, though. Even this one. Even this one. (laughs) No, I look, I loved it. And I want to thank everybody for bearing with me as I got all like philosophical about, you know, my movie going thoughts and things like that. Yeah. And sorry, that's Larry B. Scott. Larry B. Scott. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So and uh, we'll talk more about yeah. him on the next episode. And if you have thoughts about Space Camp, multiplicity, anything we've talked about, hit us up, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Uh, all of our socials and T Public Store and everything are at our link tree. Yeah, don't uh, forget you can get episode's description. Get that sweet Lowell Gans, Babaloo Mandel tote bag, yeah. t shirt, face mask. You can get it as a notebook. You can you write could, your next movie with a notebook. Yeah. Inspired. 
Okay, you could be inspired <laughs> on the daily by that. We have other stuff too: the Timothy Oliphant OnlyFans shirt. Uh, yeah, like surprise that one's not flying off the shelves. That's a great one. That's that's a great one. Yeah, you know, Oscar. We got Dune coming out, so you know, the Oscar freaking Isaac. Yeah, t-shirt on. Eh, yeah, and Jesse Plemons always delivers. <laughs> He certainly does. Uh, Dan, as you are cruising to Florida in a car with three Michael Keatons, I wish you a good journey. Good journey, Steve. (laughs) 